Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode 165 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. My name is Barbara, which everybody already knows, and you didn't actually sound the same for once. I think it's probably because you're tired. (laughs) I'm tired because I'm on the other coast of the country. I'm actually in Santa Maria, California this week. Oh man, I bet it's beautiful there. It is. There's mountains. I'm not used to mountains. It's nice. It's The weather is not hot, but it's comfortable. It's awesome. really nice. So I'm out here training at Preet. Good uh, for, for you. For my new job. Yeah. I will say that coming to Preet, I didn't know really what to expect. I mean, I always knew they had great customer service, but I didn't really realize how great it was until I met the people that work here. It's pretty amazing. They're very knowledgeable. They're very dedicated to what they do. I mean, I wouldn't lie to you. I wouldn't even tell you if I didn't think they were, but I was really amazed how dedicated everybody was. I'm I'm even more excited to be working for this company. Well, congratulations. Glad you're there. I got to train with some of the customer service the other day, and the day after, the lady I was training with said that she listened to our podcast. Nice. Yeah, so I asked her, you know, which episode she listened to, and she said it was the latest, and then I asked what she thought, and you know what she said? (laughs) What? I really like Barbara. (laughs) Aww, that's cool. (laughs) Well, that's nice. Thanks for the compliment. That's cool. She didn't say anything about me. She didn't say anything about the content. Didn't say anything (laughs) about how great it just, I like Barbara. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for giving a shout out to me. Whoever you are, thank you. <laughs> this episode, we have a conversation that actually you were absent for, Barb. Bummer. I don't know what were you doing. Were you out making deliveries? What were you doing? I don't remember. So a while back, actually, episodes 40 and 41, because back in the day, we used to break up the interviews into two episodes. We talked to, at the time, the chairman of the CalLab board. Jim Gorgel. Jim Gorgel. Jim has been a technician and a lab owner for a long time. And as many veterans in our industry, they want to set themselves and their labs up so they can enjoy retirement. So Jim got together with his good friend, Larry Weiss. Larry comes from a long and interesting career with Keller Dental Lab and then NDX. I mean, Larry knows a thing or two about labs. Over his years, he has seen the good and the bad, what works and what doesn't work. So when you put Jim's needs together with Larry's knowledge, you get an opportunity. So Larry is helping Jim get his lab and other labs to a place that will allow Jim to do what Jim wants to do. They talk about how Larry approaches labs, finds out their ultimate goal for life after the lab, and some things you can do to prepare your lab for success. It's good stuff that everyone in a lab should hear. So join us as we chat with Larry Weiss and Jim Gorgel. Whitmix's new VeraWash resin cleaning station is the ideal piece of equipment to use in the 3D printed resin post-process. Its oscillating, multi-speed stirrer produces or tornado-like vortex every 30 seconds and guarantees efficient, effective, and powerful cleaning whether the units are individual or still attached to the build plate. The two alcohol baths make an effective step wash system. 
It cleans more efficiently and there is less alcohol needed since it is reused for both a fresh bath and a dirty bath. The VeraWash's intelligent design offers features such as mode, time, and a start-stop button display, which gives the operator full and automatic control of the cleaning process. A mesh basket used in the wash container makes it easy to keep track of all small, printed parts when cleaning. The affordable unit's one-year warranty ensures peace of mind for the owner. So visit them at whipmix.com or call 1-800-626-5651 for more information about this great new product. And as always, we appreciate your support of the podcast, Whitmix. Voices from the Bench. The Interview. We are happy to have back on the podcast past guest Jim Gorgle. How are you, sir? Very good, and thank you for having me again. Yeah, all the way from Distinctive Dental Arts. And with you, you bring on Larry Weiss. Larry, I think everybody in the industry knows you. How are you? Elvis, I'm marvelous, and I am so glad to be on Voices from the Bench for my first time. (laughs) We are so happy to have you here. Unfortunately, Barb couldn't join us. Laboratory business. We all know how that goes. I miss hearing how warm it is in Florida while it's cold here in St. Louis. Yeah, did you get the three inches of snow that we got earlier in the week? No, we just got an inch. You missed out. We underperformed again. (laughs) We got a little bit of that. It it was not fun. No, no. Late April snowing is not fun. Mm -mm. (laughs) No. So, Larry... We have you on because you're doing some really cool stuff helping other labs, but I know you have a rich history in this industry. Now, Jim, we could talk to you about your history, but we already did that on another episode. Right. (laughs) So, Larry, tell us, how did you get into the dental lab industry? So, Elvis, I really enjoy hearing your guests when they talk about how they got here. And much like all of them, I just sort of ended up there one day. Had an accounting degree, was working for a bank, and a high school buddy of mine called one day, and his family had a little lab in St. Louis. Oh, yeah? He said, why don't you come talk to us? We need somebody to help us kind of on the business and finance side. So back in those days, you couldn't Google Dental Lab to see what they were. So (laughs) I, uh, I showed up for the interview, no idea what they did, and... Walked around and saw the place, talked to some of the people, and was surprised that my dentist hadn't made that tooth they had just put in, that it probably came from Keller Dental Lab here in St. Louis. Oh, Keller, sure. When you first showed up, you had no idea what was going on, what it was, what they were doing. What did you think? It was pretty cool. They had actually made a video. I mean, it wasn't a video. It was a VHS tape of what dental technicians do that they use when they had their recruiting process. So Mm -hmm. they sat me down and I watched the VHS tape and saw what dental techs did. And I was pretty impressed to think that they could create a tooth from really nothing. Yeah. So this is Keller. So what, what year was this? This was 1982. So how big was Keller at the time? time? I think they had about 25 people. They were probably in about fourth, maybe 4,000 square feet or so. So it looked mm. like they had a lot of room to grow. Sure. So what was your first role there? 
So I started as, that's kind of, you know how small labs are. I was sort of the uh, accountant, accounts receivable person, accounts payable person, kind of anything that had dollars associated with it, I was taken care of. Did they teach you the the business of dental lab or were you just responsible for the numbers? You know, you, it was one of those deals that once I figured out the numbers and as a small family business, there weren't a lot of systems or processes. So we started, I mean, first thing we did was we got some accounting software and started doing things more from a systems approach. As I did that, it became a lot easier. So, mm-hmm. so I uh, spent a lot more time out in the lab. And that was about the same time we were starting to bring in our first computer system. Mm-hmm. Keller was one of Atlanta-based systems' first customers. So very quickly, my duties were expanding to anything that had a plug and a floppy drive was my responsibility also. <laughs> so these weren't like CAD computers. Oh, they no, were no. just these accounting. Were like, these were just something to generate when I started, we were still doing handwritten work tickets. Ugh. It was to create work tickets and invoices was really the, that was the biggest thing for us. Made it so much easier. Sure. So how long were you with Keller? So stayed with Keller the whole time. Oh, Keller okay. grew. We moved several times. And 2006, National Dentex bought Keller. So it taken that little family business and had grown it very successfully and created a business really kind of followed Glidewell's model. Even we're, at that time, we were selling the his prismatic zirconia we got started with. Mm-hmm. We had really converted from that local lab where every, every customer was within 30 miles of the lab. We went to 60, we went to 90, went to 120. And pretty soon we were selling in every state that touched the state of Missouri. And shortly after that, really began to expand nationally. Yeah. You know, obviously I wasn't around in the laboratory business back in the in the 80s, but was it more local than it is now? I think of it, at that time it very much was local. And I think we still have a lot of that. I mean, a lot of the labs I talk to still are local. And, sure. And I think what there's a natural progression that as labs get bigger, they tend to start to extend their territories a little further and further out. Well, there's only so many dentists in in a circle. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and I yeah. think you, it almost becomes easier in, when you expand in those kind of think of a donut. If you if you go out the next 30 miles, many of those dentists know who you are. So when the owner or sales rep or somebody calls on them, I mean, they've heard of your lab. They've heard of you most likely, and you can get another dentist to refer you in. So we found that to be a pretty successful growth plan. Sure. So how did Keller back in those days kind of get the word out and grow before it had the help of NDX's marketing? So we really, like most labs, we were uh, we were much more of a of a, that regional lab. So at the time, we were starting to do a little journal ads, but really mm-hmm. most of what we did was direct mail. And mm. we sent out a lot of postcards. We got really good at postcards. Yeah. So you were exactly following Glidewell. Exactly. So NDX comes in, takes over or buys them out. You end up working with NDX. I do. And the uh, Keller stayed on per the sellout agreement. They stayed on for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. At that time, the dad retired in like 89. And then the oldest brother retired in 2003. 
And there were still two brothers left in the business when we sold to NDX in 2006. And then they left 2008, which is when then I took over the role of, I think at the time we called it president and general manager of Keller. Yep. So at that time we had our, we had our St. Louis lab. We still had our Louisville Keller lab and we had our Kansas city Keller lab. So we had three labs then within NDX, which about that time we changed all of their names to different lab names because customers were getting too confused and sending St. Louis cases to Kansas city or Kansas city cases to Louisville. Interesting that you had a big problem with that. <laughs> you know, it's not a big problem, but you just hate to make customers mad over little things we should have been able to avoid. Sure, sure, that's hilarious. It it is until the dentist calls looking for the case and you can't find it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know the old somebody called me from the lab, and we don't even have a record of the case. It's kind of like that. Yeah. It's in good. Yeah, no, it's not in this building. It's over there. You know who called? <laughs> no, I didn't write that down. <laughs> so you took over basically operations of the lab. Yes. You were able to learn enough of the procedure and the products and all that in an accounting role? In Elvis, I think probably given our backgrounds probably aren't all that much different because uh-huh. you come in as a non-technical person. And I spent a lot of time in the lab. I spent a lot of time in production. You spend a lot of time in meetings. You start meeting with some customers and pretty soon you know how to make everything. Mm -hmm. I just, if I, I, if it were my livelihood, I'd be in trouble. The, uh, the old old days we were a PTC lab. So part of the PTC training is you, I think you form number one out of a piece of clay, that molar looked like an eraser tip. That was the best I could get. <laughs> so you never really actually sat down and did any of the work. No, no, it was. Yeah. And, and Jim will chuckle. I mean, as I would go out to the lab, as we got bigger, generally the manager would just stick a technician on me to make sure I didn't move anything from the wrong pan to the wrong pan. <laughs> So, Jim, you were at Keller? No. Oh. Actually, way back in the day, before I started this laboratory, I was employed by NDX as a laboratory manager of theirs. And when I started this lab, a few years after, we became associated with a group called the Dental Resource Alliance. And the mm-hmm. the Keller family was one of the end our lab, Josh Green, Billy Drake, were founding members of that group. So we did some lab tours, and one of the lab tours we did was we went through Keller which was literally like going to Mars. I mean, that is when they were very, very into process, process management. I mean, everybody used the same tool and you only got one. I mean, you'd open a drawer, there'd be about three things in that drawer, um, really? much unlike mine. And I met Larry and, and we got along really well. I mean, Larry is about the funniest, most well-rounded guy you'd ever want to meet. He, of course, he was a lot younger then. Um, <laughs> I haven't changed a bit. And, yeah. <laughs> And throughout the years, we became friends. And as you know, Elvis, I I was the Cal Lab chairman, and we were due for looking for a new board member and talking about it. And I just couldn't think any better to bring on board than Larry. Hmm. So the friendship kind of throughout the years kind of deepened. We get along real well, and we respect one another. And and for the purpose of this meeting, I mean, you know, I'm thinking, well, I'm getting older. I really don't have a succession plan. I don't think Larry had officially started Weiss Advisors yet, but here's a guy that 
came from an accounting background that went into a, a, a more technical role. Grew Keller from what to what, Larry? So we were doing almost a thousand units a day when I left. Holy schmoly. And then segued from the management side into the acquisition side, the DSO side of the acquisition, laboratory acquisition side, and then segued into the DSO side. So I'm thinking, wow, if he would do this for me, what more of a, a friend so well qualified? I mean, literally, you probably can't name two other people with these qualifications in the dental laboratory industry, Mm -mm. if you can name two at all. And I talked to Larry and he goes, yeah, I'll help you out a little bit. And at that time, unbeknownst to me, I guess he was in process of forming Weiss Advisors. And we kind of formalized things a little bit more with the goal of, you know, Jim, what do you really want? I mean, and I wanted to know that my family, that we could retire, have enough money to uh, retire. I wanted to know that my employees would be okay. I mean, that's key to me that these people uh-huh. that have been with me for a long time would be okay and the laboratory would continue to be successful. And he's provided me the guidance, the structure to do that. I am exactly the opposite. I started in the laboratory. I started for NDX as a trainee waxer. I left NDX as a lab manager. Yeah. But nobody ever sat me down. You know, I was fortunate to work in a laboratory that had poor management. And even I, if you can believe that, was better than the management they had. So <laughs> so I moved up throughout that laboratory pretty quickly. But it was all technical moves. I mean, they, and nobody ever sat down and say, hey, Jim, let's talk about the business of dentistry. So throughout this yeah. laboratory's growth, you know, we made, I made a, a fairly good salary, a real good salary. I wasn't too concerned about the laboratory showing that much profit because I'd rather just take it myself, pay less taxes on it. There you go. Well, until I started to talk to Larry and he goes, you know, you got a laboratory that's probably unsaleable. I go, what? And he goes, Jim, nobody's going to buy a loss or a a flat. You know, literally they're going to want to buy based on a percentage of profit. And in the last, how long have we been doing this, Larry? Uh, Has it been a year, year and a half? About 10 months now. We started last June. And we really have turn that around. We're not done yet. There's still work to do. But now I'm looking at things much more systematically from a business aspect, which doesn't negate my technical aspect. It really helps it. We're making the right moves. I mean, if we have a good day today, not that you ever want to break things down into... Oh, knock on wood, Jim. If we have a good day today, I will probably have my best incoming week ever. Wow. And is a lot of Larry. Yeah, because not only is he working with us... God, it sounds like a Larry fan club. I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have to have his name and face tattooed on my thigh or something. Um, but, Let's keep it on the outer thigh, okay? I need you to talk to my mom, Jim. She's not as happy with me right now as you are. Yeah, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but he's working with my wife on marketing. I mean, there are very few things that I can honestly say is a bargain. You know, is it a bargain when I buy? I got a good deal on a, on a ceramic furnace or a mill, but mm-hmm. the value cost relationship with Larry is a bargain. It's been a blessing for us. So, And that's the whole reason I'm here today, because I think that if he says it's going to sound like it's ego and overblown, I'm not sure that I would still be here today if it were not for Larry. I probably would have said I've had enough. I'm done. I mean, he's, he's got me a, a little bit excited at my ever advancing age about doing what I'm doing. And he's probably yeah. lived in my working life by maybe three years. His wife's not as happy with that as he is, Elvis. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) So let's back up, Jim. So a couple, like a year ago, you decided, I want to get out. I'm done. 
Is business flat or is it just kind of stagnant at this point? I wanted to explore the chances of getting out. Okay. Business was flat. We were churning things a little bit more than I than mm-hmm. I'm churning both clients. We're just kind of churning. I mean, as staffing, sure. as you well know, is just I can't find staff. Nobody can find staff. Mm. Yeah. That's part of the issue. But I'm like, I don't want to make any rash decisions. I mean, I just I, I have an acquaintance that literally he had a lab across the street from Lake Michigan, literally walked across the park, threw his keys in the lake, never went back to the laboratory again. I'd want to be wow. that I didn't want to be that guy. Sure. That wouldn't have met my goals of making sure my staff had a future here. And you didn't have any employees that you felt could take the rein and go with it. I do not. I have a very, very good fixed department manager who may grow into the position of laboratory manager, overall laboratory manager. Mm-hmm. By nature, that's not her gig. She's a, she's a ceramist, and you know, we all know that, and she's an excellent ceramist, but we all know that we take our best people and force them into positions that they are not happy with, and then they end up going away or being unhappy. And I don't want to do that for her. Yeah. So, no, I did not have anybody internally that I felt we could bring up or anybody internally that had the interest or wherewithal to say, gee, I'd like to be a part of this lab. I'd like to buy it someday. Can we work some kind of a buy-in out? Yeah. So Larry was, was giving me options in terms of that. And were you approached previously by companies to buy you out in the past? I have been. And did it ever get as far to find out that you're, as you put, unpurchasable? No. And maybe unpurchasable was a bad term because it was purchasable. It just wasn't really purchasable for any money. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Everything's got a price. <laughs> right. I never really let it get. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, my mind was spinning a little bit and, and I can honestly say it's not spinning right now You know, because yeah. I didn't have a plan. And sure. a lot of the things that Larry leads you to do, because he didn't tell you what to do. It's kind of interesting. He he lets you make up your own mind to do what he wants you to do anyway. <laughs> it's kind of like being married, Elvis. Um, yeah, I get it. <laughs> so how do you walk into that situation, Larry? Here you know a, a good friend is in a situation that needs your help. How do you approach it? Elvis, that was when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do post NDX days. Uh, this uh, exit and succession planning group suddenly showed up on my radar and did a little research, talked to some friends that had been through their program. And kind of as Jim described, Keller had always been, what the Kellers were good at is we were always systems and processes. I mean, we were probably one of the initial labs to start lean implementations. I mean, we were doing visual uh, management. I mean, that was just something that I grew up with that just made sense to me. Mm -hmm. As I looked at what I wanted to do next was within the lab space and within the dental world, I could really help business owners if I can help them figure out what it is they want to do. So what this Excellent Planning Institute and another group called Institute of Advisors provided me with was a system and systems and processes. So what, what Jim described is really pretty typical. And what I do for laboratories or for business owners or for laboratory owners is to really start at the beginning. And you look at their personal situation, you look at their financial situation, and you look at the business. And we go through a series of assessments where I think Jim answered probably almost 300 questions. 
And Ugh. we go through those assessments. And actually, he and Val, his wife, and then on the business side, we had his business manager or controller or what, what, what we want to call Nancy set in on those. So we really developed goals on all three of those, let's call them legs, separately. And then mm-hmm. with working with Jim, where do we want to bring the three of these together? Where's that sweet spot where you can accomplish what you want to personally, professionally, and financially. And when Jim mentioned the uh, plan, that really then becomes the plan that we've been working on now for the last nine months. Yeah. It takes about three months to create that plan. And Jim's fortunate that he was working with a very strong tax advisor and a very good financial planner. Because a lot of this for business owners is... They just don't know what they don't know. So the first thing is, what do you want to do post-business, what I call your life after plan, and how much does it cost? So working with those professionals, we figured out, okay, Jim, Val, what do you guys, okay, here's what we need. Here's what we need to have. Here's what we have right now. So literally, you do the math and you back in to say, I need the business to be worth this much after tax when I leave in order to afford the lifestyle I want to maintain. So suddenly for Jim and really for the other labs that I work with, you suddenly, you can look and see where you are and where you want to go to. So Jim wanted $5 million. How did that happen? (laughs) Jim was really pretty easy. He just wants a nicer (laughs) pontoon boat to fish off of. That's exactly right. I want a pontoon (laughs) boat. I, I swore I'd never want one, but now I want one really badly. <laughs> Val has some other needs, but Jim's were really pretty basic. You know, literally, I thought my life's pretty good. It doesn't, yeah, sure. in retirement, I don't need it to get any better. The big problem is I don't want it to get any worse, Elvis. Sure, absolutely. And I've seen a lot of people that that has happened to. Mm-hmm. You know, you work for a salary, and it's a good salary, but what happens when you don't work anymore? And in this period of time, we worked with Larry. I mean, he's done some things, you know, we've heard people talk about, for instance, investment tax credits. We've heard people talk about, uh, and I've been like, yeah, I'm making, I'm busy. I'm making teeth. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. And and he said, Jim, you might want to take a little bit better look at this. Well, he probably said it three times. And Nancy picked up on that part of the team. And we did. We went through a whole process. And this is literally going to bring the laboratory back a pretty fair amount of money. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. That never would have happened without Weiss. And Weiss didn't say, hey, you, you know, you dummy, go do this. He said, Jim, I think, because that's just the way he works. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Jim, I think you might want to take a look at this. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm kind of busy today. I'll see you later. And then he'll bring it back up later. It's kind of like my wife, except my wife's a lot meaner. <laughs> so I get it. And the third time, Nancy went, you know, Jim, I'll, let me look into this because you're busy making teeth and being a lab manager and being a lab owner. Mm-hmm. And she did. We engaged a company. And it really, I mean, I think you'd agree, Larry. It's been a wonderful thing for us. Oh, yeah. You're going to end up with the PPP loans and the R&D tax credit and the employee retention credit. It's going to be a good 12 months. It is. And that's something, Larry, I would have never done. I would have done a great $109 bucks, or, or at <laughs> yeah. least I think it's great. But and there's value to that. And I now know I still really like what I'm doing. I just didn't like the way I was doing it. 
Mm-hmm. Larry talks about burnout. And I was getting closer and closer to burnout. I just didn't want to. Yeah. Now I'm actually having a pretty good time. And we're thanks to him, I no longer work Fridays. I'm only here today because one of my employees, unfortunately, had a death in their family. Mm. And I mentioned to Larry the other day, and that was all Larry. He goes, you got to take Fridays off. You're tired. I go, I want to take Fridays. I've never been able to take Fridays off. And between Nancy, him, he and myself, we figured out a way. I just don't come in Fridays. I go to the lake and it's been fine. Just stop going in. Yeah. And I mentioned the other day, you know, if I could take Fridays and Mondays, I may be able to work for about the next 10 years. And, <laughs> and, and Larry's answer to that was, well, if that's what you want to do, let's work on that. And it's possible. I never thought it was possible. I thought, you know, I, I thought I had to be here every minute of every day to manage everything. I'm still working yeah. way too many hours, but I'm only working way too many hours four days a week. There you go. I'm sure that's a problem you see a lot, Larry, with owners not wanting to step away. Exactly. And it, I mean, it's just so frequent. And some of the owners have figured it out. And yeah, but it's one of those things that oftentimes it's a combination of the, the owner has to start to develop trust in some of their team. And the approach that I use is, you know, let's we start small. And I mean, I've got one lab owner that wasn't as willing as Jim to head to the lake on Fridays afternoons and then he'd make it all day. I've just got them coming in at 1030 in the morning, one day a week, because they were convinced cases wouldn't go out if they weren't there. Yeah. Got to have faith in the plans you've put forth. Exactly. And that's part of it is as you start to bring in some of these systems and processes. And I mean, a lot of what Jim and I talk about is that succession. So if you want someone to do more of something, who's going to do some of the other things that they're doing? Yeah. And it really is that sort of the pyramid or the Christmas tree that, as Jim mentioned, his fixed manager has really stepped up. She's doing a great job. But part of that is we had to, one, empower her. Jim had to empower her to say it's okay. Jim had to make sure she understood she could make mistakes and it would be okay. And then we had to get somebody to help her do the things that, you know what, didn't really require her skills and experience. Yeah, you see that in the lab a lot. You give a lot of responsibility to someone, but you don't take away what they were doing before. Exactly. And they just get burnt out quickly. Yeah. Suddenly that same person opened and closes every day. And I, I didn't do it on purpose. It just happened. Yeah, you can't dump everything on one person either. Another thing that happened in terms of her growth is that Larry brought up, I mean, this is a busy little lady. She takes care of her mother. She works full-time and more for me. Uh, her mom lives with her. She, she's probably the breadwinner for her family. And Larry brought up, Jim, I think you know, you've got this new a series of five management training courses from the NADL. I can't remember. What was that called, Larry? Virtual management leadership or leadership yes. management training. So I talked to Katya and it means she's got to take three hours out of her day on a Friday. Mm. And she goes, I, I don't know if I can do this. Jim, besides it's way too expensive. And I said, well, the best thing I've ever said to her is you're worth it. And she goes, oh, no, I am not. I said, you are. I mean, look at what you're doing. And so, you know what? I'm gone on Friday. She took three hours out of her day, two or three, to take this thing on Friday. And it's been tremendous for her. Mm. Absolutely tremendous. And honestly, that wouldn't have as busy and as goofy as we are right now, that wouldn't have crossed my mind. So the stuff, by the way, Larry, they're now getting to your lower face on my thigh, the tattoo. It's, um, 
So, uh, yeah, I may have to poke my eyes out now that you described it. <laughs> the stuff that he brings is not just financial stuff. You know, it's, it's leadership stuff. It's marketing stuff. And I think that he will develop a program based on needs. I mean, if I said all I was interested in was this one segment, which was uh, retirement succession, that's what he'd do. I found that by expanding my interest in his talents, it has really helped my laboratory in, in multiple areas, not just technical, not just financial, but management in a very short period of time. Sorry if I got too chatty there. No, not at all. This is interesting stuff. So, I mean, Larry, do you look at the overall production and start getting involved with actual making of the product? So, Elvis, a lot of it really, since we start with the owner's needs and wants, uh-huh. and that'll drive where we go to. So, in, in general, I mean, the first things that I'll do are what I call the de-risking activities. So, in like someone in Jim's case, if age is something that, you know what, there needs to be a transition of the lab in the near relative future, we're going to spend a little more time sort of on the the retirement planning and, and making sure that the personal, the legal, the financial and the tax things are in place. Mm-hmm. A lot of that I don't do. I'll just work with the owner and their tax advisors or their financial planner. Once we have that covered, then it's really looking at sort of these de-risking activities. Is there something just inherently dangerous for the business that if an event would happen, it could close the business down. So we want to shore those up. And then we start to look to operational efficiencies. So at that point, then we'll start to get deeper into the numbers. I'm a big fan of scorecards and benchmarks and visual controls. So Jim has implemented some visual controls within the lab and scorecards. So monthly, he and his business manager know how they're doing. And then within the lab, is production moving as it should? And just little things that, I mean, one of the things that we found early on is we were receiving more cases every day than we were building out. And with the visual systems now that Jim uses, the fixed manager or the denture manager could see, "Uh uh-oh, I got a problem coming in three days. I'm going to be way behind. Yeah. Was that something you didn't have before, Jim? Yeah, we utilized here, and I've always said uh, the only thing I need to run a lab is something we call a rainbow. And a rainbow measures my labor, my remakes, my daily sales, my monthly sales. And Larry introduced a scorecard thing. Well, yeah, scorecard almost sounds overly simplistic because one of the things it measures is cases in per period, cases out per period. You can have a good month because you've did a lot of high-end work, but the number of cases is backwards. I mean, yeah. we know for sure how many cases we get in. We do this every 15 days. How many cases we get in a day and how many cases we get out a day. Right now, I'm running four cases in more than I'm running out. So in 15 days, it tells you I've got 50 cases or better that are backed up. Well, that seems very simple, but it's, it it's works. It's simplistic, but <laughs> now I can have a conversation with... Like Larry said, my denture manager or my ceramic department manager and say, hey, you know, and she goes, yeah, well, yeah, we're busy. And I go, I know we're busy, but at this rate, we're going to be busier. So let's find the pain point and see what we need to do to get more of these cases out. 
And the month before last, we got more cases out than in. So we caught up a little bit. This month, we're going the other way. Mm. And it, it's good. It measures. And another thing it measures is your sales per FTE, full-time equivalent. And this is probably, again, a little nod to Larry here, because through our membership in the Dental Resource Alliance, I measured those once a quarter. You know, they're good, they're bad, they're whatever they were. Through the scorecard, we measure them every 15 days. And my sales per equivalent is $2,000 more than it was per month. Last better than it was last year before COVID. Wow. Yeah. And if we see that number going down, we know there's an issue. It's We measure cash collected. We measure cash dispersed. Between the rainbow and the scorecard, you can run this laboratory. How did the employees take the new procedures? Were they open to it? Were they a little weary of it? We're still working through that. We are in process of bringing a couple more people into a portion of twice monthly meetings. But for the most part, it's good because the initial reaction is we're going to do it the way we've done it before. We're busy. What do you want me to do? Yeah. As opposed to saying, well, what can we do? What do we need to change? I mean, that pain point term that Larry uses is we're hiring a new employee. We finally, did I tell you, Larry, we found a CAD manager. Good. And, you know, Katja, my fixed department manager was in it. And I uh-huh. said, we need to have a list of things we want him to work on. He can't work on everything at one time. He's a brand new guy. Yeah. And so she brought a list in. And I said, well, okay, where are your pain points? And she goes, what do you mean? I go, what causes you the most pain every day? That's what we need, how we need to prioritize this. So you don't burn down so that he has a systematic way of looking at these goals. And literally she lit up. Because the whole monkey wasn't on her back anymore. It was just, mm-hmm. and oddly enough, it was something as simple, I think, as changing the library we use for design. She doesn't like our library. She's never been real happy with it for a couple of different reasons. And sure. so, Jim, that's what I have the most problem with. We have to change too much stuff. And I said, well, let's look at another library. We'll have them work on that first. She goes, God, that would be wonderful. She's taking it a bite out of time, and that comes from Weiss. You know, the, the old way of doing it, I don't know, work harder, work longer. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's been good. And they're taking it well because they're seeing, you know, she now sees, I keep using her as an example. She sees value. I spent some money on this course. We took, we paid her, of course, every time she took it. Mm-hmm. Asking her what her pain points are. I'm interested in her, which I always was before, but I maybe didn't make it plain. Yeah. And she has grown exponentially. I just can't explain how much and how well she's grown. And, and honestly, how much closer we've gotten. If, in fact, you felt that way about your ex-employer, maybe you'd still be there, maybe not. But I think that a lot of the reason she stays is because she knows that I care. She can make the same money someplace else and probably work less hard. Sure. Yeah, and that's important to employees, I feel, Mm -hmm. knowing that the owner or their manager or whoever is actually caring. Larry, when you go in, do you actually talk to all the employees? You know, a lot of that depends. I generally don't start off there. Because what I really want to do is I want the owner and their management team to really understand what it is they want to do and where they want to go. And your earlier question, so it's sort of once we figure out their needs and wants and we create that plan, we start taking out risk, we start improving operations. And then the kind of the final big step then is now we need to start to grow volume because as the lab runs smoother, more work goes through. And and one of the things that I really enjoyed with Jim is we finally, we were making quite a bit of progress and we had our monthly check-in and he goes, Larry, I'm so slow. I don't know what I'm going to do. 
And mm. his business manager had already sent me the scorecard, and I noticed that sales were up basically 15% from both the year before and the prior period. And I said, well, why do you think you're slow, Jim? And he goes, well, I got employees coming to me, asking me what they're going to do, or should they go home? And look at your case volumes coming in. Look at your billings going out. You're just getting faster at what you do. When he talked about <laughs> that sales per FTE, the lab was actually busy. It's just the work was flowing through better than it had for a long time. And it felt slower. All right. I would agree with that. So what's the answer? Finding more work? Well, then we start, and, and that's kind of what Jim had mentioned. Then you start looking at, and unfortunately, uh, Val, marketing is really something that she enjoys and is good at. So she's kind of been working on that all along. And now it's just really letting her loose to do things to bring in more account. Because prior to that, we were concerned because we couldn't get the work through the lab that we really didn't want to bring any new business in until we felt good that we could serve them as distinctive wanted to serve them. Yeah, there's nothing worse than getting more work in and not being able to do it. <laughs> yeah. That's a quick way to lose. <laughs> and Larry has, and Valerie have worked out, I mean, we had a corporate motto, I guess, as uh, most people do, and Val decided to change that. And they've come up with, uh, they're still working on it, but basically it's going to be uh, customer service and support when you need it because that's a problem in laboratories. Yeah. And that's probably a paraphrase on the exact wording. But we want them, when they call, somebody's going to be on the phone with them right away that can answer their technical problems. And that's the biggest complaint I hear from Dennis is that not so much that you're too expensive, your work stinks, yada, 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 mm. is that they can't get help when they need help. Yeah, absolutely. You got to answer that phone call. And some of those aren't brain surgery. I mean, with the change in technology, a lot of those calls, for instance, are just, how the hell do I get you a scan case? Yeah, it's not always too technical. Elvis, as you can appreciate too, I mean, both you guys, I mean, haven't been in lab business. So much of what I do is just share things that I've either learned or I've picked up elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So if, with my efforts, if someone really gets deep and needs to do something uh, they need to develop a website or they want to change their entire branding strategy, most likely we would look to an outside party to come help do that. Yeah. It's just uh, Distinctive was unique with Val's experience in marketing and her background. We pretty much, I've been familiar with Story Branding, which is, was a popular book and there's a program they call Business Made Simple, which I really encourage every laboratory to take a look at it. I mean, it's it's like $275 for a year's subscription. And the content they have to help you develop either your sales and marketing plan or just they've got a lot of tools out there that are just real easy that they break down into step-by-step -step processes. Yeah. I'm interested in the marketing. What's working these days? Because we've talked on this podcast with multiple people about you know, what's good marketing, what's not, social media, direct mail, like you mentioned, cold calling. What do you recommend? A lot of what I do is really that I want the laboratory. So Jim and Val and his leadership team, I wanted them to be very clear on why would a dentist use them? Mm -hmm. Why are they unique? Why are they different? And that's what Val has spent a lot of time on so that whether it's Jim or George, who's on the phone a lot, 
or their customer service manager or Val or their sales guy, everybody has those same talking points. Dentists yeah. love distinctive dental studios because of this. This is what we're really good at. And we just keep repeating the same story and then check back with the customers when the sales rep or Val is talking with the customer. Is that still how we treat them? Making everything consistent within the lab when communicating with offices is a key. I believe so. I agree with that. I mean, even at the lab I was at, there would be times where a doctor would call in and get two different answers from two different people. That can't be good. <laughs> One of the things that we do is I have a pretty key employee that who's unfortunately one of his family members died today mm -hmm. but he is a key communicator for me i mean he technically runs the crown and beard section of my laboratory which is small we don't do very many gold crowns and stuff mm -hmm. but he is an excellent communicator and and he is always available for calls he or i are always available for calls we overlap and that has been the best thing we've done because doctors really, really appreciate talking to the same person and getting a decent answer. Yeah. And I think a lot of times laboratories, they don't see the value in that position. I mean, we're only a $3 million laboratory. We're not that big. I'd like to get bigger, and we seem to be getting bigger. And I truly think that George Gioli, it's his name, is a key portion of that. Yeah. No, I agree with that. One communication or just a few people always being the one available at all times. And the hardest thing we have to convince our clients about, you ask about marketing, still the best marketing is a client recommending another client. And that's something that Larry and Valerie are pushing. They still have a tendency to be a little hesitant about it because, oh, you know, if you get too busy, you might not do my work as well as you used to. Yeah. But once we get by that, we are seeing our word of mouth increase. I still maintain one salesperson. Hmm. Not so much for sales, although he does do that, but as Reagan, if you call today and you want information about this laboratory, probably he will bring it to you today. Oh, like personally? Yeah. Nice. And in a COVID environment, it's cold call sales. You're not seeing very many laboratories keep reps, but I talked to sure. Larry and he also does a little bit of chair side stuff on some of the on fours, not much, mm -hmm. but I think his value is his customer service when you need it. How are you helping the word of mouth get out? Are you offering incentives to your current clients to recommend other? Not yet, but that's something we might do. I mean, Larry uh -huh. and Valerie have been uh, extremely PIA about getting more Google reviews and getting more recommendations on the website. And I think I undervalued those things prior. Yeah. You know, I, I start to look at my own shopping habits. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I could own half of Amazon by now. Yeah. <laughs> And I always go to ratings. So I think that doctors look at ratings. I mean, they value, you know, if I, if I want to buy a porcelain furnace office, I'm going to call you and say, what are you guys using? I mean, yeah. do you like it? you having problems with it? And I think that's very underrated. I think that people like reviews, although it's a pain in the butt because she's got George and I asking them, hey, can you go to the damn website and give us a review or give us Google review? And it is kind of a pain in the butt. It and is. Very few people do it. It's kind of awkward, but you're right. I mean, if you look at labs and you Google them, and in my new role in Preed, I'm looking up accounts that I'm just now learning about. You're right. They have Google reviews, and they're they're all super low. 
I mean, they're all just like one or two reviews, and it's usually pretty obvious it's the person that owns the lab or someone that works there because it's just a raving review. But you're right. If I was a dentist looking to use a lab, I'd Google them, and it would show up. I think the best thing that Preet did, you talk about service quickly, is that your implant ID. Yeah. That provides, a big term for me, Larry, that provides an obligation influence for me to use your company. Because you helped me ID that. Uh, I spend a lot of my time on legacy parts these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Preet's assistance in a lot of cases. I think that that would be a wonderful thing for laboratories to look at. I mean, I don't make any money looking up legacy parts, nor do you. But no. if I'm going to buy a part and you help me identify it, I'm going to buy that part from you. I get it. Yeah. I mean, even before I worked with Preet, I used that service all the time and it was huge. And it made me look good to the doctors. I didn't tell people I found out from Preet. <laughs> they thought I knew. <laughs> <laughs> you are the hero. <laughs> yeah. So, Larry, is this a service that labs can look into if they're not exiting? It sounds like you do amazing things just to help labs. Yeah, actually, Elvis, the working with labs that don't have exit plan, that aren't planning on transition are actually, and are actually the more fun ones. Yeah. One of the labs that I'm working with, probably 45-year-old owners, and they just want to be able to, at 55, to do whatever they want. If they decide yeah. they want to leave the country and go live abroad for a while, it's not necessarily about exiting. And the idea of, I like succession planning is a better term. You want to answer all of the questions. I mean, you want to understand the business, your personal, your financial, your legal, your tax. And if you have all of those ducks lined up, you're in the best place to be. And one of the things that really drew me to this area was research over and over shows 50% of all businesses are forced to exit or change hands because of a sudden contingency. I mean, there's an illness, there's a death, there's a divorce, there's disability. Hmm. Um, Look at COVID. There's some sort of duress. I mean, things happen. The more one plans for the future, the better one's prepared. And if you go through this exercise and you do this continuously, what you can do is you maximize the value of your business, you can minimize your taxes, and then you can ensure that the owners are able to accomplish all of their personal and their financial goals. So it really is, any time is a good time to do it. And I'm finding more, especially with COVID and just the changes it's wrought on many laboratories, now is a great time to think about your future. And kind of the old adage, what gets measured gets better. It just holds true. Well, it sounds like doing these kind of things, yes, directly benefits the owners, but it sounds like it makes life for everybody in the lab a little bit better. Workflow happens better. Business is more consistent. Business grows. I mean, everybody benefits from that. And I think we've all been in the lab business to know what is good for the owner in the lab is good for all of the employees. Happy owner, happy life. Exactly. (laughs) If the lab isn't doing well, it's really hard to have perks or benefits that the team wants or needs. Absolutely. So, Larry, if someone's intrigued by this and wants to learn more, how do they get in contact with you and what does the first step look like? So the first step is really just reach out to me. Mm -hmm. My website is Weiss Advisors. 
stl.com or Elvis, I can get you my email and my phone number if you, and we can put it up on Facebook if somebody wants it. I mean, my sure. number is 314-610-1553. And something that I did want to mention, Elvis, is yeah. one of the things I find is the smaller lab owners, it's often difficult for them to find the time or the money to get involved in one-on-one coaching. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things it really does, uh, the cost is one thing, but it's also the time frame that if you're working 60 hours a week, it's hard to get excited about spending more time Yeah, to work yourself out of the hole you're in. That so many lab owners find themselves working so busy in the lab, they can't work on the lab. Oh, yeah. And this summer, I'm actually launching a dental lab group coaching program. Okay where we'll take probably six to eight dental labs. We'll meet once a month for three hours, and we're going to go through 12 steps that are guaranteed to make your lab more valuable, more successful, and to create free time for the owner. Mm. And the program is structured, so we'll meet one day a month for three hours, the owner of the lab and a key employee. So it could be their spouse, it could be their number two, it's Whoever will help them achieve the most and help them be accountable. And we'll go through each month will be a different, kind of think of it as like a mini MBA. Yeah. We'll go through a business topic or a business initiative that they'll work on for the next 30 days. And then when we get back together the following month, they'll report out on that, talk about successes and failures. We'll introduce a new topic. And basically, we'll do this for 12 months. And just to clarify, Larry, when you say meet, we're talking Zoom. This will be virtual. I'm Yeah, thank you, Jim. Yeah, these will be virtual. The goal really is for the business to be able to make better decisions, double the value of their business, transform your team into assets, and to save 10 to 20 hours a week of your time. And this summer for the, the kickoff of the program, the charge to the lab will be $300 per participant per month. Mm-hmm. And you know what? We'll do it for 90 days. If you don't feel there's any value to it, you're not obligated to stay any longer. And we'll start off initially with just what gets in the way of being a successful laboratory. And then what is the developing a plan for their lab to be more successful? I think it's an excellent way for a smaller lab that unlike Jim, where you have someone that can help you and you have a team of around you, first step is you've got to free up enough time that you can start working on your business and not just in it. Yeah. And this program, I mean, it's geared towards small labs, medium labs, large labs, fixed labs, removable labs, ortho labs. We'll look at the attendees and it'll probably develop around sort of the size of the lab and where they are in their development of their management team. And then we'll also look at geographical concerns. So ultimately, I'd like to have three of these groups running at a time. Mm-hmm. So let's say the lab across the street from Jim that he may not like a lot. The two of them wouldn't be in the same group. Oh, yeah. We'll do some selectivity. And ideally, we could find a group of larger labs that will have those individuals in a different group. 
just because if your management team can already consist of five or six employees, you're in a much different place than if you have 25 employees and it's really just you and one other person helping. Sure. That's great stuff, man. I came into this conversation, thought it would be geared towards just exiting, but I think this is all valuable stuff that any lab can look at to just maximize what you're doing. And all this, I look back at my days at Keller and I think dental labs really aren't any different than any other business. And I look at the We're cooler. I mean, come on. Oh, they are. And (laughs) I look at the periods where we were most successful, and it generally followed some sort of an event that happened. I mean, when Dad decided he wanted to retire and the three boys had to buy him out, we had to make some changes to buy Dad out. And the older brother, who was quite a bit older than the two younger brothers, decided he wanted out. Again, we bought him out. And the lab had to make some changes because we had a note we had to pay off. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we can go back and you can look at the different financial collapses, but there were just times when the business changed so much, we were forced to do things differently. And my goal is to help owners think more proactively so we don't have to have a natural disaster occur to get us to do the things we should be doing. Nice. And Jim, I hope Larry gets you that boat. <laughs> I am ready. <laughs> I got his t-shirt picked out. I don't have a, the boat yet. <laughs> we want to see pictures of you on that boat with your Larry tattoo shining in the sun. Yeah, that's right. Prominently displayed. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. That was a great hour. I really didn't even realize that time creeped up on us, but uh, that's some cool stuff. I really like what you're doing, Larry. And Jim, I wish you the best in your success for ending your career. Well, same goes to you and your new endeavor and all those beyond. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us. You guys, it was great. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Big thanks to Larry and Jim for coming on our podcast. I really am really bummed that I missed the conversation. I know both of you guys really well, especially Jim, Larry. Uh, you were a lot of fun on the Cal Lab board for, I think, one time. And I've known them both for years, and they're super knowledgeable. And I think what Larry is doing is very important these days, as many labs are being turned over to the next generation of lab owners. It's a super exciting time. And maybe when Jim finally gets off the keys we can talk to the one who took over, find out the process on their end. So if you're looking to retire or just want to get your lab in better shape, be sure to check out Larry's company at wiseadvisorsstl.com. Thanks guys for coming on. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. See ya. Bye. Boy, you're struggling out there in California.